We will eventually get through this chapter, and that will be today. Ah, but 25 looms large on the horizon. Same subject. We'll look this morning at Matthew 24, verses 45, down to the end of the chapter 51. If you were here last week, you know probably that the, the final uh, point of the sermon was be ready. Talking about the Lord's return. Be ready. So readiness is on the table. There's been a week in between, but readiness is where we were well, the last time we sat here. And that's the issue that our text goes on to unpack for us a little bit this morning. What does readiness look like? When I was in the service, we had operational readiness inspections. That's when a whole plane load of inspectors showed up to evaluate everything that you do. They picked through all the paperwork. They gave written tests to see if we knew what we were supposed to know. They scored on how we performed in simulated war games. Commanders' careers rose and fell on operational readiness inspections. So is something like that what God has in mind for readiness? I suspect the readiness Jesus calls us to is a bit different. Somehow what readiness looks like seems to be determined by what we think success looks like. And churches today, as Judaism in Jesus' day, are certainly pursuing certain models of success. So perhaps readiness is defined by how well equipped, how prepared we are for whatever success we think we should be pursuing. If that's the case, then the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day sought to be ready to promote peaceful coexistence with the Romans. Well, that seemed to be the success they looked for. And modern churches seemed to, would need to be ready to have growth and wealth and influence. Well, that seems what, to be what churches are seeking. Is that what readiness looks like? Seems that when Jesus spoke of being ready for the Son of Man coming again, he had different readiness in mind. Let me read what he says. I'm going to pick up with verse 44, although we talked about that one verse last week. We'll go on from there. Verse 44. So you must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here we have two truths to consider. The first is this. Readiness means always being faithful. Readiness means always being faithful. Latin words simplify are the proud motto of the United States Marine Corps. It's short for semper fidelis, Latin words which mean always faithful. That's how the Marines want to be seen, always found faithful, being there for one another, having each other's back, always willing to die for one another, never leaving another one behind, always faithful to God and country and core. But folks, long before there was the United States Marine Corps, Jesus called his disciples to be known by this quality, fidelis. That's the Latin word for faithful. Always faithful. That's what being ready for Jesus' return is all about. Readiness means being always being faithful. To look at the history of the church, one might well miss that point. For such readiness for the Lord's return has not always been so evident. The New Testament church in Thessalonica already had problems along these lines. They believed in Jesus' return. They believed it so much that they were in a tizzy because some people were saying they had missed it that he came and left them behind. Apparently some others were so convinced Jesus was about to return that they had quit their jobs in order to wait and be ready. Now that's a certain view of readiness. It's not what the Lord wanted. In contrast to that zealous frenzy in Thessalonica, church history more often records a skeptical disregard for Christ's coming a determined refusal to be ready. The Apostle Peter warned about this attitude when he wrote, in the, in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since I fa our fathers died, everything goes on just as it has since the beginning. Well, Jesus paints a different picture from in the readiness that he expects. Not a zealous frenzy like in Thessalonica and not a skeptical disregard for whether he's coming or not as Peter reports. Instead, Jesus says his disciples are to be like stewards, house managers is the term that Luke uses in his uh, 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 translation of this account. A steward is one of a servants of a large estate, a servant who was entrusted by his master to care for the household and all the other servants. This steward was to be in charge, making sure that everything the master expected got done and, and, and to be responsible for the care of the other servants making sure that they were provided for uh, by means of the master's wealth. That's the picture 
that Jesus gives us in verse 45. The faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time. So how should this steward, this, mas- this servant in charge, how should he understand the master's return? How should he get ready for it? What should he do? Should he be in a frenzy? Should he not care? What should his attitude be? Well, Jesus says this is simple. He should just be found doing what he was told to do. That's what Jesus says in verse 46. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so, that is, doing what he said, when he returns. This is too simple. Could it be that readiness simply means being faithful? Not selling all your belongings and gathering believers on the hilltop so they can see Jesus when he, when he arrives? Not huddled in some bunker somewhere to, to, to safely endure the apocalypse? Not having an end-of-the-world party, but faithfully feeding, caring for, encouraging, praying for, binding up the brokenness of God's saints. In short, to be ready is to be practicing all those one and other things that the New Testament tells us, the Lord's commands. Let me give you some of them. Love one another. Don't judge one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Show forbearance to one another. Be kind to one another. Do not lie to one another. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Teach and admonish one another. Encourage one another so that none will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's just a partial list. There are over 50 times in the New Testament that the Christian life is defined in terms of our loving commitment to one another. And Jesus expects us to be doing what he said. When he returns, readiness means being faithful. And those who are found ready doing what Jesus commanded, to those he promises even greater responsibilities. The master will put him in charge of all of his possessions. Dear people, we're children of our culture. We think greatness means power wealth, and authority over lots of people. That's not the Lord's way. That's not what he's doing. Jesus did not come to us born to a life of luxury. He was born in a barn. He was raised in a carpenter's shop. He hung out with common folks. And then he suffered a grisly death that he didn't deserve. 
So the Father has exalted him to his own right hand and given him power and authority over everything in heaven and on earth. And now he calls us to the same kind of faithfulness that we see in him. Doing what the Father said. And he promises us glory when he comes. Uh, but some refuse. Which brings us to our second point. God will destroy abusive leaders. God will destroy abusive leaders. As we noted earlier, simplify is the motto of the Marine Corps. There's a twisted version of that motto which uh, gets used sometime, I understand. Simplify means always faithful. Simper I is used to rebuke a Marine who does his own thing disregarding everyone else. Simper I means always about me. <laughs> That's what our second point is about, abusive leaders whom God will destroy. There are many we could describe, there are many ways we could describe these folks. There are people who bully others to get what they want. There are people who mistreat those who they care for. There are people who use and abuse people entrusted to them. Listen to Jesus' description and see if that's not what he's talking about in 40, verse 48 and 49. Suppose that servant, that's the steward in charge, the leader, suppose he is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. I call that abusive leadership. Bullying people in order to get what you want. Mistreating those who depend upon you. And then giving special treatment to yourself. Unfortunately, this is a pattern we see everywhere in our society. Elected officials who enact laws and policies that oppress people they serve, all for the greater good, of course, but then find ways to give themselves a pass so the oppressive restrictions don't apply to them. Abusive leaders. Or all kinds of people with little skill or qualification who get some little piece of authority and then think they can do what they please. Perhaps they're security guards who want to be cops and tell everybody what to do. Or sometimes just low-level bureaucrats who love the power of, having, of being able to stand in your way for whatever you need from them. You know who I'm talking about. We encounter them everywhere. And unfortunately, church leaders sometimes do the same thing. They preach on love and sacrificial service. But those who know them best have seen how mean and selfish they can be. Or they're given a little responsibility in the church. And then they think they run the church. Even on this Father's Day, we must admit we fathers tend to lay down the law for our children. 
but we also tend to find ways to excuse our own transgressions. That's the problem with the second steward mentioned here. He ignored the master's promise to return. Instead, he did things when he was ready and when he had the time. He assumed that his understanding of the master's plans were more accurate and more important than the master thought. He forgot who the servants belonged to. He said, these servants will do what I want them to do. They will answer to me. He mistreated them and became a tyrant. Indeed, he forgot that he too was a servant. He said, I will do whatever I want. And he began to party as he pleased. His self-indulgent bullying to get what he wanted invited his own destruction. You see, what is outlined here is the opposite of being faithful. Always faithful has in mind the master's orders. Abusive leaders see only their own desires. Always faithful has in view the master's uh, pleasure at his return. Abusive leaders have only in mind their own pleasure today. Always faithful is concerned for his responsibility for the master's servants. Abusive leaders are concerned only for the privilege of their position. Always faithful is ready when the master returns. Abusive leaders are counting on a little time to get their act together and get their story straight if the master ever comes back. Readiness means being faithful. But abusive, self-indulgent, bullying leaders invite God's destruction. Jesus says that just as faithfulness will result in greater responsibility, so abusive leadership will result in greater condemnation. That's Jesus' promise in verse 50 and 51. The master of that abusive servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's not a pretty picture. That's a picture of God's condemnation. Perhaps the most disconcerting thing is that the one condemned here was a steward, a leader given responsibility for Christ's church. I must warn you that our confidence in the certainty of God's salvation does not remove the responsibility to be faithful doing what he said. That does not mean our salvation is by works. That's a different gospel. That's just taking God at his word, whether we understand it or not. We must be faithful. Though we always long for special privilege, this morning I set before you special responsibility with whatever God has put in your hands, with whatever time he's given you, with whatever opportunity you have, with whatever lives are entrusted to you, be faithful. 
This passage sets before us two servants who became stewards, a wise servant and a wicked servant. Through these accounts, God is calling us to be faithful in our service and to watch expectantly for Jesus' return, to be the always faithful servant, not the servant who abuses the authority given to him. Story of two servants. But you know, as we pull the camera back and look at the broader picture, we catch another more glorious story about another servant leader. That's the story of Jesus found in Philippians 2. He was not naturally a servant. He's the eternal son of God. But he willingly humbled himself and became a man and took the role of a servant that he might deliver us from death and judgment. But this servant did something no one else could do. He actually took our sin upon himself, paid the penalty we deserve by dying on the cross. And we know that was effective, for on the third day, God raised him again from the dead. He was seen and heard by many people, proving that God was satisfied with his atonement for us. The atonement of the suffering servant of God. So when our trust is in Jesus, we're assured that we have eternal life on the day that Christ returns because of his good stewardship. And that will be a day, that's a day of hope for us. It will be a day of judgment for the hypocrites and the abusers of God's children. But it's a day of hope for those who persevere in their love for the Lord Jesus. For on that day, he will deliver us from the oppression that we feel, and he will bring us with him into his eternal glory. He promises. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so inclined to do our own thing. We're so inclined to see everything that's in our hands as our particular possession to do with as we please. We're so inclined to have our own way and to use whatever authority we have to make sure others have it our way. Oh, Father, teach us to be faithful stewards of what you've given us. And what you've given us, Lord, is largely one another. You've made us part of a body. You've called us to love one another and to be kind to one another and to encourage one another, to bind up one another's wounds and to pray for one another, to help one another, to serve one another, to wash one another's feet, Lord. May we be found faithful on the day you return, Lord Jesus. Faithful, doing the kind of thing that you have done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's turn our hymnals to hymn number uh, 654. 654. 